Jesus taught us to pray. You can have a seat. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You know, the church is not just a group or an organization. We're, we're not just a holy huddle. The church is not here to play games. This is not supernatural uh, uh, fluff that we just come and this is spiritual stuff to us. This is not just another ritual. This is not just religious cliche that we say uh, at church, but we actually believe that what we say is true. We have a relationship with the living God Almighty. That when we pray, we get to talk to God, that he is real, he is righteous, he is our heavenly father, and when we talk to him, he actually listens, the creator of all things, heaven and earth, the king of all kings, the one who was not appointed to this throne, the one that cannot be impeached, the one that cannot be moved is the one we have a relationship with. So, so it's so important that when we think about church that we don't think about going through the motions or playing games with God. We get real and we talk to him. We get real and we want more of who he is to say, God, we need you desperately, not just in the difficult times, but we want to give you glory because of who you are in all times. For he is good. This is not a God that we can perceive for he is infinite and all-knowing yet we can have a relationship with him. Like the clay getting to talk to the potter, we, we get to have a relationship with this God. We get to pray to him, the one that holds all things together. We get to know that he loves us. Now more than ever, we need his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus knew we needed this long ago. That's why he taught us to pray. He wanted us to use this, that we would practice this, that this would be who we are. I wonder today, are you taking Jesus seriously in your life? And I mean this, this question for you to sincerely ask in your heart, do you believe Jesus? And now I can't imagine that every person that is hearing me right now has a right relationship with God. But if you've made it this far and you're still listening, I believe you're a truth seeker. I believe that you're wanting to know who God is, and I believe that God honors truth seekers. I believe that God wants you to know him personally, that if you'd be willing to talk to him and and pray and just say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? If you'd be willing to open up your Bible and let God speak to you, read one of the biographies of Jesus. You find them in the Bible. There are books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read one of those and say, God, would you show me a revelation of who you are? At Journey Church, we believe there's hope for everyone. And we believe that in all times, in all places, with all people, there's hope for everyone. In the hours just before Jesus was killed, he left us with a message. He wanted to tell you something very important. 
I wonder if you had 24 hours to live, what message would you leave? If you knew you only had hours to live, what, what would you say that would be left behind? Well, we know what Jesus says. John records these last words of Jesus. He, Jesus left us a message that we wouldn't be left wondering why he did what he did. He, he shows us his heart. He wants you to know him more personally. And in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't this amazing? Just moments before he would suffer, he knew what he was about to do. He gave his life up. He knew that he was going to die. And the message he would leave with us is that he wants us to have peace. It's as if he would look forward to the suffering that he was going to endure, and he knows that you can have peace in every moment, not just in the easy times, not just in the happy times, not just in the healthy times, but this is a peace that is everlasting. Jesus makes it clear that this is a peace that is not like what the world gives. The world seems to play games. One day there seems to be hope, and the next day it's doomsday. It just depends what day you turn on the TV. It just depends what social media you're watching on that day. But this peace that Jesus gives is not like the peace that the world gives. See, we often think of peace in peaceful times. But Jesus lived during a time where the Roman Empire was ruling most of this known world. And the Roman Empire had a saying, Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. You see, the Roman Empire thought the more it could rule, the more peace it could bring because it could control this. But, but what happened 2,000 years ago is still true today. The government cannot give you the peace that only Jesus can give you. You see, this was during a time where, where peace was said as a greeting. The Jewish people would say shalom to one another, which means peace. But this is more than just a greeting. This is God's perfect peace that if you know who he is, the essence of who he is inside of you, it shapes who you are. You can go through anything. The suffering that Jesus went through was to show us and demonstrate to us how much he loves us and what he leaves with you is peace so that you would no longer be afraid in any circumstance or any unknown or any suffering. When Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church, he, he lets us know that this peace came through Jesus because of the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 says, For he himself, that's Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to think about this, that because of Jesus, he breaks down this wall of hostility. Whatever barrier that would be between you and God, Jesus breaks it down so that you could have a relationship with God, that he would call you friend, that by believing in him, you would be a child of God because of the peace that he gives. Verse 15, he continues and says, By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in a place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Instead of being an enemy of God, 
He calls me friend, not because of my good works, not because of my good deeds, not because of the family that I was born into, not because of a church that I attend. He did it because he loves me. He wanted me to have peace. And the way that I have peace is I look to the cross and what Jesus has done for me. That no matter what I face, I know I have a God that I can trust in. I have a God that I can turn to. I have a God that I get to pray to. That's why the peace of Jesus is so great. Jesus also said in John 16, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So here's the key to this peace. Jesus said, it's in me. You may have peace in Jesus. When you believe who he is and what he's done for you, that's when you get this peace. You will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But Jesus is greater than your tribulation. Jesus is greater than your trouble. Jesus is greater than anything we will face in this world. Therefore, whatever I'm facing, even my unknowns, my anxieties, my fears, I bring them to Jesus. I remember the cross and what he's done for me. I look to the cross, and when I see Jesus hanging on the cross, I remember his great love. The reason he allowed those nails to go through his hands is to show you the depth of his love. The reason Jesus, when when he took his last breath, he, he had a spear thrust in his side with water and blood pouring out, it was to demonstrate to us the reality that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That you would see visually what Jesus has done for you so that the peace that you have came at a cost. And it's not something you can pay for. It's not something you can earn. It's it's a free gift that God gives you when you believe in him. Jesus had a crown of thorn thrust upon his head. It was to mock him. You know the word corona actually means a crown? He had a corona thrust upon his head that you would see his suffering and all that he went through so that you would hope in him. That in your uncertainties, you would see that he was willing to go to any length that you would believe in him. He was scourged. He was whipped over and over. His back was torn apart. And Isaiah says, it's by his stripes that we are healed. So that when you're hurting, you would look to Jesus and all that he endured, that you would see the cross is not something in vain. The cross is not just a religious symbol. The cross is the reality that this is where I find peace, that Jesus laid down his life so that when I look to him, I look to his love. That he would no longer let me be in darkness, but he would shine his light upon me. It was Jesus' own words that declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is what you are made for, that you would know him, that you would trust in him, that you would see his blood was shed for the reality that you don't have to earn his love, but he gives it to you freely in who he is. That in the most uncertain times, whatever it is you are facing, you can trust in him. For no one is greater than Jesus. No one has done what Jesus has done. He lived a sinless life. He is God in the flesh, and he was willing to lay down his life so that you can live. This is how much Jesus loves you. In his final moments, Jesus said in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be 
troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I know believing can be difficult. I want you to know that sometimes this is just a journey and God is patient with you on this journey into the unknown that sometimes we can be skittish about what God is doing or how he's even doing it. Several years ago, my wife and I had a great idea to to not buy any Christmas presents, but to take that money we would have used on presents and go on vacation. So at 3 a.m., we woke our kids up on Christmas morning. They wanted to go back to sleep. You know you're tired when you don't want to go downstairs and open Christmas presents. They were so tired, they didn't want to do it, but we made them get up. We made them come downstairs, and when, when they arrived, they saw all of these presents. They saw stockings that were stuffed. And we made them open their stockings at 3 a.m. And they opened up their stockings and they found things like travel size soap, travel size sunscreen. They were less than impressed. They were confused. Uh, They were trying not to show their frustration. But then we told them after they had opened their stockings with these, these travel size items, we said, open the presents. They opened up these big boxes and there were these little tickets for Disneyland. And finally, there went from confusion to, wait, what's happening right now? And then finally, we tried to express because they showed no excitement. We thought this thing was going to be absolutely incredible. But instead, they were confused, and here's why. All they knew was the previous Christmases. This, This isn't the way it was done. There was an interruption to their normal. There was an interruption to what they thought was going to happen. And because of this, they could not enjoy the moment like we were hoping they would enjoy. They were confused. The older kids started to get it, and we got on a plane, and it was negative 14 degrees that Christmas morning when we left Central Oregon. We landed in Southern California. It was 76 degrees, and we went to the Santa Monica Beach on Christmas Day, and my youngest daughter was still confused. She would ask us presents like, she would ask us questions like this, well, are we still going to get presents? Christmas is about presents. And we tried to explain, listen, this is not so much about presents as it is about the experience. And so she was confused, but I will tell you this. Some of us are like my kids on that Christmas morning. We're confused. Uh, Our normal has been interrupted. And we don't know what's about to happen. But the reason that my wife and I went on that vacation is we wanted some memories. We didn't want toys that would break or be forgotten. We wanted something a little deeper. And I'll tell you this, my kids ended up warming up to this idea. They ended up having fun with their new normal, that interruption. And I'll tell you this, eventually they look back and now they remember that Christmas more than any other Christmas. And now they actually want to go back to that moment. Now they want to say, that was so sweet spending time as a family. That was so wonderful going to Disneyland together. And I want you to know that although your normal might be interrupted, God might be teaching you a lesson. He he might be doing something in your life right now that you're going to look back and say, I want what happened then. That interruption was not so that I would be separated from God. It was that God would be doing something in me to grow me even closer. So that you would enjoy this journey. That you would want more of what God has to offer. In the book of Mark, we read the biography of Jesus. And in the fourth chapter, Jesus is telling story after story. He is the master storyteller. He tells them in parables. They're short stories with with a big truth. And at the end of that chapter, it's no longer a fictional story. Something actually happens that's serious. We're told that Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. They are his students. 
And while he's in the boat, in the middle of the water, there's a literal storm. This is not fiction. This is the reality. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom. He's been telling stories about who God is. But now there's something more serious. And in the seriousness of this particular story, it is chaos. And so you might wonder, can God work in the midst of chaos? Can Jesus practice the very thing he just preached? And here they are on on this body of water, and there were waves literally crashing against the boat. There's water literally filling the boat. And where was Jesus? Nowhere to be found. He was sleeping in a real storm. He's sleeping in the chaos. He's sleeping in the, the scariness of the unknown. Jesus is sleeping. And his own students, these disciples, they, they saw Jesus' silence, and they thought he didn't care. Mark 4, verse 38, they, they wake Jesus up, and they declare, and I imagine with some anger in their voice, do you not care that we are perishing? I, I, I think sometimes in the midst of a storm, if we get really honest with God, we can ask that same question. Do you not care that we are perishing? Sometimes I wonder, Lord, are you not watching the news? Jesus, do you not see the stock market? God, do you not see what everybody else is seeing? Do you not care? When the shelves are empty in the stores, God, do you not care? God, in the midst of unknown, seems to not care in his silence. But it's in this place that Jesus, when he wakes up, Mark verse 4, chapter 4, verse 39, we're told, And Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. How did this peace happen? Jesus spoke, and it happened. I wonder if in the midst of a storm, the very thing that we need to do is start speaking peace. Not the way the world would do it, but we need to learn from Jesus. Maybe in the midst of the waves crashing against the boat, maybe when that water seems to be filling up high, maybe in the midst of the unknown, the very thing that we should speak is peace. Be still. Maybe we ought to watch what we say. If we follow Jesus, we should learn from him, and we should be a peace-speaking people. With the authority that Jesus has given us, he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus has given you his peace so that in the middle of the storm, you don't have to question why, Lord, are you allowing these things to happen, but learn from Jesus and start speaking peace. This peace does not just come in the good times or the healthy times or times of prosperity. This is an everlasting peace. It's eternal because this peace is found in Jesus. There's another occasion where the disciples also found themselves in a storm, but this time Jesus is not on the boat. In Matthew chapter 14, Matthew shares in his biography of Jesus' life that these disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm, but this time Jesus is not there. In Matthew 14 verse 24, we're told the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I wonder if you ever feel a long way from hope, a long way from the shore, This is where Jesus gets real. At this time, these disciples have witnessed Jesus heal 
miraculously. They've heard Jesus teaching about the kingdom. They've witnessed the miracle of multiplying meals. And now they're in a storm. What will they do? We're told in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. There's nothing normal about this because we read in verse 26, but when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Do you see this? Even the disciples were terrified of the storm. It was the fear of the unknown. And something seems to happen when you have fear. You come to your own conclusions. And just because you come to your own conclusions does not mean it's the right conclusion. Jesus could be with you, but instead of embracing peace, you embrace fear. You come to the wrong conclusion. And Jesus, right in this moment, when they're terrified, when they're full of fear, has a message. Take heart. That phrase, take heart, could be translated, have courage. In the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the storm, Jesus wants you to have courage. Why? Because he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. You see, fear is a liar. Fear loses sight of faith. And in this case, Jesus did not stop the storm. In this case, there's a great invitation. Peter, when he discovers that it's Jesus, in verse 28, answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I can imagine he was expecting a different answer. You don't come to me, I'll come to you. But instead, Jesus said in verse 29, come. How simple is that invitation? Jesus doesn't make it complex. He doesn't uh, explain to you what's going to happen next. He doesn't even explain to you how it's going to happen, just the invitation to come. So Peter, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus called Peter right in the midst of a storm. Is it possible that Jesus could be calling you in the midst of a storm? Could there be a great invitation from Jesus today to you saying, come? I want you to experience more of me in the middle of a storm. I want you to experience a miracle in the midst of a storm. And Peter did the impossible. He walked on water, but the story shifts quickly right in the middle of a miracle. He looked around and realized he was in a storm and he was afraid. And in his fear, he began to sink. You see, there's nothing that will make you sink faster than fear. When you are afraid, it does not help you sleep. When you are afraid, it does not give you more joy. When you are afraid, it does not help you parent better. When you are afraid, your your marriage does not thrive. When you are afraid, you don't get to know God even greater. When you are afraid, it does not help you have peace. So Jesus, in hearing Peter's request to save him, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I love this, that Jesus hears your cries. 
Sometimes when you don't know what else to pray, sometimes in the midst of the most serious storm, sometimes when you're sinking because of your own fear and you say, Lord, save me, Jesus actually reaches out. And he lets you know the answer, the solution to your fear is not you trying harder. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't condemn Peter and say, Peter, you got to work a little harder at this walking on water. He said it's actually all about faith. And what is faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And it's the conviction of that which you cannot see. He couldn't see how this was working, but he could have believed that who was in front of him could do in him what he could never do on his own. And when Jesus gets in the boat, I want you to note this. The wind ceased. This is an important message to your storm. One day, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. It could be in two minutes or two hours or two weeks or two months or two years or two decades. That storm will cease. You see, what you think will last forever right now will one day be done. It will be gone. We don't always know when. We don't always know how it will work, but we do know this, that God will work it out. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things, just say that with me, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He's able to take your fear when you sink and turn it into good. He's able to take your storm and turn it into good. He's able to take your uncertainties and turn it into good. He's able to take suffering and turn it into good. He was able to take the cross and turn it into good. That's why we trust him. And when you keep reading it so that you might reflect more of who he is, you're made in God's image. He wants you to know what you were made for. You're made to reflect who he is is. Therefore, no matter what you face, Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say to these things? What are these things? It's your anxieties. It's your fear. It's your uncertainties. It's all the things you face. What shall you say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is absolutely awesome. You have a God that works in a real, tangible way. One of the greatest examples of this God working in a real way is the guy that wrote those very words. His name was Paul. He wrote a bunch of books in the New Testament. Now, he did not write these books while on vacation, sitting on a beach, sipping on a margarita. He he did not take a sabbatical and go to a cabin out in the woods and write some of this fine literature that we still have today. He wrote many of these books while suffering, while being persecuted. He wrote many of these books while actually being in a dungeon, this what we call a prison. Here he is in the stankiest place, experiencing the saving grace, the peace of God. This is absolutely incredible that even while in prison, here's a guy, this Paul was in prison because he preached Jesus, crucified and resurrected. And it's while in prison that he would pen these words in Philippians chapter 4. He writes to a church in Philippi, So he says to the Philippian people in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, Paul did not say rejoice in the Lord when things are good. He didn't say rejoice in the Lord when you're at church in the comfort of a pew. He didn't say rejoice in the Lord when you feel like rejoicing in the Lord. He said rejoice in the Lord always. 
Always, and if you didn't get it, I will say it again, rejoice. That means you can have joy no matter what your circumstances. That joy is not defined by circumstance and situations. It's the peace that's inside of you that causes you to rejoice. And then he goes on to say, here's what the church should look like. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now's the time, church, to not look crazy like the rest of the world. If you have the peace of God, let the world know the reasonableness that's inside of you you start speaking peace you start living these things out for he says the lord is at hand then verse six it gets even more difficult do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god here's how it works when you really believe jesus this is not sometimes this is not when I feel. This is not compartmentalized to a moment, a program, or a ministry. It's the reality of who you are. You rejoice in the Lord, and here's what you do. You pray, you pray, you pray. You pray without ceasing. You bring your supplication. You surrender your life to God. You bring your request to God. I don't care how small the request is or how big the request is. You have a great God that sees the details, and he sees the big things, and he's able to do all things, and you do all of this with thanks. Giving because you know who God is and what he's done for you and what he's going to do. He's going to work this together for good. You don't know how he's going to do it, but you know he's going to do it. In his right time, you know this too will cease. You know this will be done. You know that what's inside of you will last forever. And look what happens when you pray. Look what happens when you give thanksgiving. Look what happens when you rejoice always. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that's the emoji for the, my brain just exploded because I can't fathom this. The peace of God while I'm in prison, the peace of God while I'm in the storm, the peace of God in my uncertainty will surpass all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. You keep turning to him. You keep trusting him. When you fail, when your fear causes you to sink, you say, Lord, save me, and he'll save you. But when you're not sure what else to do, you talk to him. You ask him to bring peace. This is a reality you can have. It was true nearly 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote these words, and it's still true today. That like Paul, you can learn what this looks like. You know, Paul didn't just arrive at this. This was a journey. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, I have learned. One of the most difficult lessons is called life. And Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation. Don't you miss that. In whatever situation, God's word is not just for someone else at some other time. It's whatever you're going through. I am to be content. Oh, that word content is lost in the world that we live in. This, this is a lost practice. It's, it's an art that must be learned, and you learn it when you, when you follow your teacher, Jesus. You, you learn it when you follow your Lord. You, you learn it from the Savior of your sins. You, you learn it from your God that calls you friend. You learn it from the one in which you can pray, Oh, my heavenly, our heavenly Father. Your daddy is going to demonstrate what it means to be content. He goes on to say, I, have, I, I know how to be brought low, but I, but I also know how to abound. So I know what it means to suffer. I know what it means to be great. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Here's the secret sauce right here. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Because my God is real, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Here's where the secret sauce is. 
I've got his peace inside of me. I didn't contrive this. I didn't work harder. I didn't have to be better. I didn't have to be more religious. I just had to keep coming back to him. This is where the rubber meets the road in our faith. Am I going to be content or will I do what Jesus told, uh, told me to do? That is to have courage. You can be content and have courage. Why? Because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The only way to experience this is to put it into practice. A preacher can't preach it to you. You can't be born into the right family. It's not complicated at all. In fact, I believe you need to accept that invitation that, Peter gave, that Jesus gave to Peter. And here's the invitation. Come. That means in the middle of whatever you're going through, would you come to Jesus? Would you come to the cross? Would you remember what he's done for you? That he was crucified not because he did anything wrong. He who was without sin took our sin on the cross. So that when he died and he defeated death, he rose from the grave so that you can have his life. The very same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit you can have. If you feel dead spiritually right now, he can resurrect that spiritual life. If your marriage is going through difficulties, your finances, your health, maybe it's just the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds. We know who holds tomorrow. It's Jesus. So here's some practical things you could do in the, in the middle of whatever you're facing. Open your Bible. Start first thing in the morning. Would you let God speak to you? Open up the Bible and, and read the Word of God so that the Word of God would get into you and then think about it through the day. Speak it. Don't stop learning and craving what God has for you. Speak peace into other people's lives. And learn to talk to this God. Pray to Him. You know you don't have to go to church to experience God. You could pray, pray right where you are, in your car. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. You can do it in the shower. You could do it even in the midst if you just failed because of your fear. Maybe you said something you regret saying. You pray, and God is going to meet you right in that place. And everything changes because our faith now is real. Do you believe Jesus? Do you really believe in who he is? I want you to know today, if you're not quite sure what that looks like, it is never too late with God. Today is the day of salvation. Just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then this, this experience will be over, but I want you to know it's really just begun. At Journey, we say the best is yet to come. That's because we believe it, that God's going to work all things together for good. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you would leave us with the most wonderful words that you give us peace. And so I pray today that if there's anyone that hears me that is not experiencing peace, that they would put their faith and trust in you. That you are a God that gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. We can't figure this out. A pill can't give it to us. The government can't give it to us. The world can't give us what you alone can give. The peace that's in our hearts, the peace that's in our mind. So, so I just prophesy right now to every person in Jesus' name that by the blood of Jesus Christ, because of what you've done, I pray peace in your church that we would be a, a peace-speaking church. Blessed are the peacemakers. Lord, would you continue to work through your church? Just in this moment of prayer, if you've never received Jesus, it's incredibly simple. You've got to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. You've got to believe that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the grave so you no longer live in your sin, but you trust in him and him alone. And it changes everything. You're now part of a bigger family. If that's you, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I trust in you. 
If you prayed a prayer like that, it changes everything. We would love to hear from you. We would love you to fill out a, a connection card or, or fill out something so that we can know what decision you made today. We celebrate who God is and what he's doing. In Jesus' mighty name, we all pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us on this online experience. Before you leave, on a practical note, we want to connect with you. We want to make sure that you know that God loves you, he hears you, and and we'll be praying for you. We take prayer very serious, and we're not going to stop. I actually believe a great move of God is happening right now. We're going to pray unlike any other time before. So please let us know how we can be praying for you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to know. If Journey Church is your home, you can still honor God with your finances. You can trust Him. There'll be a link in the comments to give. So if you want to give your tithes and offering, you don't need to come to church to do that. We are the church. We want to honor God with every part of our lives. We want to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we don't stop there. We also want to love other people. The Journey Church, remember, there's hope for everyone. Thanks for joining us on this online experience.